this is the next lecture for Jeffrey Chaucer's General Prologue Canterbury Tales. Uh, we had already discussed the profile of the miller. That's where we ended in the last lecture. So in the next, in this lecture, I'll start from page number 93 in the book. From the profile of the Mansible. The Mansible's profile is also uh, a negative profile in the sense that he is also an example of how people in his profession cheat others. Uh, he is shown as somebody who is street smart, but at the same time he does lack the moral and ethical conscience that would fit the profile of somebody who is an ideal of their own estate. A gentle uh, mansible was there of a temple. Now, gentle is a very interesting word here. Gentle basically means somebody who is of gentle birth, who is a gentleman. But it also means somebody who is worthy, who is excellent. Gentle is a word that is used very often for the knight uh, and here for the mansible. So, the same word being used in different ways by Chaucer. Another technique that he uses very, very often. One... Um, when he uses for the night, it means uh, that uh, Chaucer or the narrator is very serious. He genuinely means that the knight is a gentleman, but for the municipal, it's an ironic sort of an undercutting. He is a gentleman municipal. Uh, was there for temple? This temple is basically, um, you know, um, uh, it it was sort of inns of court where lawyers would live and they would eat in the mass uh, in in the mess. Hall, sorry, uh, which is called the Commons, and the Mansible was basically a buyer who would uh, buy provisions for the college and for similar institutions. So he would sort of look after the canteen, as it were, and um, other personal and private needs of the lawyers who lived in the Commons. And uh, the temple is um, actually the reference. All of the references given on page number ninety-two. So you could just look it up there. It's a fairly, um, you know, fairly straightforward. Uh, um, details there. A gentle mansible was there of a temple of which Akator's Akator is a purchaser, somebody who caters or purchase, purchases things of which Akator's might take example. As in he was he was so good that other purchasers or other Akators can follow his example, they can take his example for to be wise in buying of vital. Vital is food food is basically uh, food things, groceries. Uh, for he knew how to be wise, for he was intelligent in the buying of food things, of food stuff. For whether that he paid or took by tail, tail is credit. So whether he paid for the things that he bought or took them on credit. All gate he waited so that in his ashat that he was I befone and in good start. So good start is basically good state. So uh, every time for whether he paid or he took the tail, whether he paid uh, with money or he took uh, things on credit, all gate he waited so that in his uh, in his ashad that he was before and in good start, and uh, always he made sure that in his purchases, in his in the process of his buying, he was always ahead, in the sense that he always made a profit. He was always ahead. His credit was less than his profit and he was always in a good state he was making a lot of money now is not that of god a full fair grace as in isn't uh, the narrator is saying isn't that a good thing god has graced him with such intelligence that he can always remain in profit that such a lewd man's which shall pace the wisdom of an heap of learned men and again lewd is a word that we have come across earlier lewd is somebody who is uneducated it doesn't mean uh, that he is sexually offensive 
or in, in any other way offensive it basically means that he is somebody who is uneducated uh, so the narrator is saying now is not that of god a full gray full fair grace that such a lewd man's which shall pace as in uh, isn't it isn't it uh, you know isn't isn't it because of god's favor that such an uneducated man as the manciple uh, should outpace pace basically means to outdo that such an uneducated man can outdo or he can oversmart the wisdom of a heap of learned men lawyers were supposed to be people who were very very highly educated we've talked about this when we were talking about the sergeant at law um of masters had he more than thrice ten thrice ten would most probably mean 30 that weren of law expert and curious curious basically doesn't mean that they had a lot of curiosity it just means that they were skillful that they were very good at what they did so they were very very learned of which there was a dozen in that house the house in which he provided the provisions there were about a dozen of these lawyers worthy to be stewards of rent and land rent is income and of land they were worthy enough to become stewards as in managers of the estates of great lords aristocrats landed gentlemen and these estates could be really 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 huge so these lawyers would take up uh, you know um, these jobs as stewards of rent and of land and these are very high paying jobs of any lord that is in england right so um of masters had he more than thrice ten he had more than 30 masters if i'm getting the number correct i'll have to check that that one of law expert and curious and all of his masters here masters basically means master in plural masters of the doctors of law that's what it means and there were many that were of law expert that were experts in law and they were very skillful of which there were a dozen in that house and they at least a dozen of them lived in that particular house uh, worthy of being steward of rent and land actually thrice ten could then also mean their age that means that they're they're not very young they cannot be fooled very easily by the rest of the world but the manciple can still manage it worthy to be stewards of rent and land of any lord that is in england anywhere in england they're good enough to be the stewards of the lord of anyone in england to make him live by his proper good as in in honor debtless but he were would or live as scarcely as him list desire and able for to help in all a shire so to make him live by his proper good um and he says that the manciple has enough wealth that he can live on his own wealth he's made enough money he can live on his own wood in honor he can live an honorable life which is debtless which is a big thing in medieval england unless he were mad unless he went mad right or live as scarcely as him list desire or if he wanted to who could, he could live an economical life he could live a life uh, which was not very very superfluous which is not very showy of and if he did that he he would have enough money to help an entire county which is he would have money enough to uh, help a lot of people in any case that might fall or help uh, and yet this manciple set her all a cap right so whatever happened right in every case this manciple was able to set set their all a cap basically means he was able to fool all of them he was able to fool all of these people who were better than him who were more educated than him so basically he is good at his job and he is good at making fool of people the next is a reeve the reeve is again uh, is a similar uh, profile as the as the manciple he is also sh- shown as somebody who is street smart 
and uh, what a reeve is is given on page number 92 a reeve was responsible for checking the woods and fields of the estate for damage keeping watch over the work of those threshing the grain supervising the tillage and harvesting and keeping proper accounts for the auditor to check reeves were peasants nominated from among the villains contemporary pulpit literature complains that reeves frequently cheated their lords and terrorized the tenants and poor peasants so that's the kind of corruption that you would usually find in the profile of the reeve in estate literature or pulpit literature as um, you know as harriet ragnathan has already pointed out so let's see what this particular reeve is about and his is a fairly uh, descriptive profile as compared to the mansipals the reeve was a slender choleric man now choleric is again a reference to the choler which is part of the theory of the four humors we've talked about it and on page number 94 ragunathan says a man in whom choler or bile was the dominant humor was characterized by learnness leanness sharp wit good memory and prudence the sticks and legs legs stick thin legs of the reeve imply that he is lustful and intemperate so again this is another example of what i have been talking about that the physical features whether it's sticks in legs or it's a wart on the nose or it's black broad you know nostrils um all of these physical features had moral ethical sort of implications and uh, you know secondary meanings associated with them in medieval literature so the reeve was a choleric man which means that he was he was sharp he had a good memory he was very prudent but also there's an implication that he is very lustful and he is also intemperate so he is all of those things his beard was shaved as closely as ever he can his hair was by his ears full round he shone as in his hair was closely shaved if you remember in the initial in the profile of the yeoman we we talked about how a closely shaven head um are basically were symbols of his servile status his status as a servant and he also tucks up his surcoat like a begging friar so the reeve is uh, more than the people that we've come across till now of his estate the reeve is conscious of the estate that he belongs to his hair was by his ears around his ears it was very closely cropped he shone is closely shaved and cut his top was docked like a priest before his top or his coat was cut short he wore a short coat like a priest before like a priest in front uh, his surcoat was tucked like a begging friar which is what i just said full long were his legs and full lean his legs were lean which is an implication that he is lustful and intemperate on page number 94 ragunathan says that and like a staff a staff is a stick right there was no calf he seen his calves could not be seen he's so thin well could he keep a granary and a bin a bin is a basically a corn bin there was no auditor could on him win even if the auditors came they could not get the better of him they could not win over him because he knew how to keep the records of his granary and of the corn bins well wist he by the drought and by the rain the yieldings of its seed and of his grain so whether it was well wished well as in he knew uh, that whether it was drought 
or by the rain or whether it was raining he knew what kind of yield he would get what kind of seed and what kind of grain he would get he knew exactly everything there was to know about his own profession his lord's sheep his neat which is cattle and his dairy dairy cows his swine his horse his store his livestock and his poultry now here his refers to the lord that the reeve serves this is not the reeves so his lords is sheep his lords is cattle his lords is dairy his lords is swine swine is female pigs or pigs his lords is horses his lords is livestock and his lords is poultry he knew exactly everything there was to know about all of these things these were the things that he was in charge of was holy in his reeves governing as in he was completely uh, his reeves governing as in his job as a reeves and by his covenant gave the reckoning right and by his account the contract that he had was that he would govern as a reeve and he would submit the accounts since that his lord was 20 years of age and he was supposed to do all of that he was supposed to keep track of all of this he was supposed to govern as a reeve and give account of everything that went on in the lord's estate because his lord was just 20 years of age so he is servant to a very young lord so i guess that makes it easier for him to cheat his uh, master there could no man bring him in a rage then nas balif ni heard ni other hain that he ni knew his slide and his covine so there could be no man who would bring him find him in areas as in he he did not owe anybody anyone there was no man who could find that he owed anyone anything there was no bailiff there was no herdsman there was no farm worker that he need knew his slight and his covine who knew or who could actually prove what is trickery his slight is trickery and his covine is his deceit there was no bailiff no herdsman no farm worker who could prove his trickery and his deceit they were a dread of him as of the death of death a dread is they were terrified of him the farmers the herdsmen they were all uh, so scared of him as if of death and death is a reference to plague here his dwelling was full fair upon a heath right and everybody who worked for him or under him were afraid of him as if they were afraid of the plague but his place or his house was upon a heath which means that it was in a picturesque place with green trees shadowed was his place he could better than his lord purchase he could buy things which were better than what his lord than the things that his lord could buy that his master could buy and where does he get all of this money from of course he's stolen it all from his master full rich he was stored privately privately is secretly he has stored uh, a lot of riches full riches his lord will could he please in subtly and if it came to pleasing his lord he could please his master subtly as in in sly ways to give and lean him of his own good and have a thank and yet a coat and hood to give and lean him him is here a reference to his master so the reeve knew how to uh, please the master in sly ways but also to give him presents out of his own good as in he could present he could 
present things to his master which actually originally belonged to his master and have a thank and his master would still thank him and also give him a coat and a hood also he would make a present in return for the gift of a coat and a hood in youth he had learned a good master he was a he was a well good craftsman a carpenter and when he was young he had learned the trade of being a carpenter he was a very good craftsman he was a very good carpenter this reeve sat upon a full good stot as in a sturdy horse we have heard about everybody's horses perhaps not the mansipals but every but most of the peoples this reeve started a uh, you know rode a horse which was very sturdy that was all pomely gray and high scot right it was dappled um it was dappled and it was gray and it was called stot height is called the horse was called scot a long surcoat of purse is blue gray upon he had he had a long upper coat which was of blue gray color and by his side he bore a rusty blade now it's interesting that he is he seems to be the only one who's carrying a weapon which has a rusty blade which means that he doesn't keep up with his blade but he also doesn't need to perhaps very well of norfolk was this reeve of which i tell this particular reeve belonged to the place called norfolk beside a town men clepen bolds well um and in norfolk he came from a town near a town beside is near a town uh, which men called boldswell so what exactly town he comes from we don't know but he comes from a town which is near a place called boldswell tucked he was as is a frere about he hitched his coat up like he was a frere and ever he rode the hindrest of our route and he rode at the hindest is at the back um at uh, he was the one who rode um you know behind the whole company after the whole company then comes the summoner the summoner is um, is 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 a character who's um who's corrupt through and through there are absolutely no redeeming features in the summoner it doesn't seem like he has any kind of moral or ethical values at all on page number 94 um ragunathan says a summoner or an apparitor was an officer of the ecclesiastical court he was not in holy orders as in he had not studied the scriptures he was not officially a part of the church his duty was to serve the summons to wrongdoers to appear before the archdeacon's court which dealt with moral or sexual offenses so this is sort of like a parallel court which ran with the legal courts but these were people who were uh, who had committed offenses which were moral and hence religious or sexual in nature and the summoner was sent to give the summons or the order for these people these offenders to appear in the archdeacon's court unlike the other portraits there are no redeeming features in the summoner and he openly undermines the authority of the court and teaches people to disregard the seriousness of their sins he misuses his position to allow his pals to escape punishment for a consideration and this consideration is of course a fee in money the incurable acne that covers his face and his half hairless beard would have been attributed to a form of leprosy thought to arise from clean unclean sexual habits now of course we know that leprosy is of course it's got nothing to do with sexual deviancy but in medieval europe that's what it was thought of as chaucer's description of the symptoms 
their causes and the fearsome remedies the summoner tried are all in accordance with medieval medical theory the pimpled face is a symbol of a spiritual corruption there is nothing attractive about this summoner and the power he has over the youth of the diocese can lead to nothing but evil for them when jesus christ had said suffer the little children to come unto me the summoner has the reverse effect the children are afraid of his hell like face right uh now to page number 95 a summoner was there with us in that place that had a fire red cherubin's face now cherubins um are um, in contemporary literature and for for a while now they are considered they are depicted as these small angelic babies who are supposed to represent innocence and purity and angelic sort of devotion but uh, in medieval england they were the second order of angels in medieval times they were depicted not as cherubic babies but as adult angels often with red faces which were a sign that they were on fire with the devotion to the lord and here of course the fire red cherubin's face of the summoner is not because he is burning with devotion of the lord inside but because he has pimples and he has incurable skin diseases perhaps also leprosy so of course the fire red cherubin's face is an ironic and a sarcastic comment on the appearance of the summoner for so for sauce flame was he sauce flame is acne he had a lot of acne with eyes narrow with a uh, narrow eyes what the acne means i've already read so you guys would know what it is about um and hoot he was hoot is technically hot but here it, it means that he was lustful and lecherous as a sparrow uh, sparrows were traditionally associated with lecherousness with licentiousness so he was lustful and he was lecherous as a sparrow with scald brows as in scabby acne scabby face brows black black brows which were scabbed and piled beard piled is basically scanty beard again a reference to you know this kind of a skin disease so the outward sort of uh you know uh, rotting skin uh, is a symbol for the rottenness or is ethical moral degeneracy within of his visage children were afraid and his face was so pimpled and it was so uh, damaged in a certain sense that of his visage of his face children were very afraid their nos quick silver literaj ne brimstone boris serus ne oil of tartar noon the ointment that whole that would cleanse and bite that him might help of his wilks white nor of the knobs sitting on his cheeks well loved he garlic onions and eek leeks and for to drink in strong wine redis blood um there was no this is on i'm starting again from line number 629 there nos quick silver these are all ways these are all ways and ointments which were used to treat um, skin diseases quicksilver is mercury litterage is lead oxide brimstone is sulfur boris is borax cerus is white lead oil of tartar is cream of tartar there was no medicine made out of any of these things no ointment that would cleanse and bite as in it would penetrate the pimples and cure them there was no ointment that could cleanse or bite or penetrate 
that him might help of his pimples white nothing helped his pimples or the you know or the scabs that he had nor of the knobs sitting on his cheeks again a reference to the scabby pimples well loved he garlic onions and eclecs and also leeks so he loved garlic onions and leeks and raganathan points out on page number 96 that these strong tasting foods which is garlic onions and leeks were thought to increase lust and aggravate the kind of leprous skin eruptions that afflict the summoner so not only is he already corrupted not only is his skin and his morally degenerate but he also likes eating food that makes his condition actually worse right and for to drink in strong wine red is blood so he loved drinking strong red wine then would he speak and cry as if a wo- as as he were wood wood is mad and when he had drank a lot then he would cry and he would speak almost as if he was mad and when that he well drunken had the wine and when he when he had drunken a lot of wine when he was well drunk with wine then would he speak no word but latin <laughs> and at that time he would only speak latin and um, a few terms had he two or three that he had learned out of some degree a few terms as in there were only a few legal expressions in latin had he Uh, only two or three he knew only two or three terms or phrases legal expressions in latin that he had learned out of some degree out of some passage out of some document he had learned these two three phrases of latin no wonder is he heard it all the day as in he must he, he must be hearing all of these legal phrases in latin all day in court because that's his job he summons people who are accused of sexual or moral offenses in court he brings them to court so he visits there often so he must have heard these place these terms um you know no wonder is he heard it all day he must have heard these latin phrases at court all day and also you know when well how that a j and now the narrator is speaking to the reader and he's saying and also you know you is the reader the narrator is saying and also you know you know very well how that a j a j is a bird that repeats phrases uh, like clepen uh, what as well as can the pope so the jay is a bird which can repeat some human voices and so um, the narrator is saying and you know how you know very well how a jay even a jay can be taught to call what as in it can be taught the word what and then once the jay knows this word he can speak it out as well as the pope can right so he can speak it out as the best of all of us and there's another reference to this on page number 96 um Raghunathan says that there was a Latin proverb saying when i have drunk wine and my tongue speaks latin and when i have drunk twice or three times i am the master of any art whatsoever that's one reference here the other is a jay is a chattering bird kept as a pet in medieval times jays were trained to call what a diminutive for walter this is fairly common coming back to the text line number 644 but who so could in other thing him group as in and but who so could as in whoever could in any other than this these one or two two or three latin terms that he knew but whoever could in other things ask him questions then had he spent all his philosophy i question quid uris would he cry right so if anybody asked him anything else besides these two three latin terms 
then he had spent all of his philosophy then he would look like he spent all of his philosophy all of his learning he spent all of it so he doesn't know what to say and he would just reply i quest questio quid iuris would he cry and this is a latin phrase which is frequently repeated in the law courts and it roughly means what is the law on this point the summoner the summoner is continuously parroting this tag he was a genteel harlot and a kind a harlot is sort of a rascal again see the see the use of usage of the term genteel he was a genteel harlot and a kind he was a kind man a better fellow should men not find right it is ironic so the narrator is saying that he is a gentle he is a gentle rascal which means that he is he is fun to have around a better fellow men could not find anywhere he would suffer for a quart of wine a good fellow to have his concubine a 12 month and excuse him at full full privately a finch could also could he pull um and um he would suffer for a quart of wine that is if he were given even just one quart of wine he could suffer as in he could allow a good fellow to have his concubine a concubine was a word which is not used in the same way that it's used nowadays a concubine was a word which was used specifically for priests mistresses as in he knew the priests um, secrets uh, and those priests who kept mistresses which was of course illegal for them to do so but if these priests gave him even a quart of wine even a little bit of wine he would allow a good fellow to have his concubine he would keep their secrets a 12 month he for as long as an year he would keep his mouth shut and excuse him at full and excuse him at full as in fully excuse him full privately a finch also could he pull and if he found other oh anywhere a good fellow and if he found a good fellow anywhere he would teaches he would teach in him to have non or in such a case as of the archidnus curse or the archdeacon's curse so if he found a good fellow anywhere so if he liked someone he would teach them to have none or means no or or no fear so he would tell these good fellows people that he liked not to have any fear in this case or in such cases as in cases where people have mistresses which is illegal not to have any fear of the archdeacon's curse now if you remember we've we've read about the archdeacon's curse before also if the archdeacon cursed anyone people could be excommunicated people could be you know uh people's absolutions could be taken away completely and um, and you know common people were extremely scared perhaps more than anything else of not being forgiven their earthly sins so that they would have to go to eternal hell hell after they died so this was a big big thing so for the summoner to say don't worry don't worry about the archdeacon's curse i can make everything all right is a big thing for him to say uh and as far as the finch reference is concerned i think i've left that one in between uh the reference on 96 says an indecent and slangy expression meaning he could seduce a girl on the fly so finch here basically is a reference to a woman full privately a finch 
also could he pull as in he could allow other people to have their mistresses but also he could have his own fun as well and if anybody pointed it out he could say oh don't worry about the archdeacon's curse i can take care of it and how can he take care of the archdeacon's curse but if a man's soul were in his purse for in his purse he should he punished be so this basically means that he would uh, you know he would say that um, the criminal need not be afraid unless he has kept his soul in his purse for in his purse would be the hell or a place in which he would be punished this basically means the archbishop will be satisfied with a monetary payment of bribery so he would tell everybody that the archdeacon is okay um you know um, the archdeacon is ready to take back the curse as long as but if a man's soul were in his purse so a man's soul is in his purse for in his purse he should he punished be as in it's only his purse that would be punished he would lose money from his purse but not because of the archdeacon's curse because the archdeacon will take it away as long as he is, has some money from a particular person's purse purse is the archdeacon's hell said he said he so he would say that the purse is basically where the archdeacon's hell is that's where the, that's what the archdeacon is interested in the archdeacon takes away a person's hell by taking away a person's purse but well i would or well i know he lied right indeed of course of cursing ought each guilty man him dread for curse will slee right as a soiling saveth um this is an interesting sort of um you know this is a very interesting sort of an uh, inversion here he means that chaucer for a change actually comes in and he criticizes the summoner he says but well i know he lied right indeed chaucer or the narrator sort of comes in and he says but i know that he's lie he's lying this is not right in fact indeed this is what the summoner is saying is not right the archdeacon's hell is not in the purse and people cannot be forgiven this since just because they pay money of cursing ought each guilty man him dread right um each guilty man should dread should be scared of being cursed of being excommunicated or of going to hell each man should each guilty man should be dreading that he should be scared of that for curse wolsley as in excommunication will in fact slay the soul it will take away the soul uh, one per anybody who is excommunicated will be condemned to everlasting death right as a soiling saves as in a soiling is absolution just like being absolved of your sins will save your soul for eternity excommunication will also damn you for eternity so this is one of the very few places where the narrator actually steps in and criticizes a particular character and says that what he's saying is actually not right and passes a sort of moral judgment on the summoner and also war him of a significant as in somebody who is guilty should also be beware of also be scared of the significant is the opening word of the writ sending an ex- excommunicated person to prison people should be scared of being excommunicated and going to prison for it in danger had he at his own guise right uh, at his own mercy he had uh, the young girls of the diocese the young girls here basically means people of both the sexes and the people of both the sexes are basically at his mercy and know their counsel 
and because he knows all of their secrets it could be a reference to him actually blackmailing these people and was all their read and he was an advisor to them in everything now this could literally mean that the people the young people of the diocese don't know how bad he is so they tell him their secrets and they ask for his advice and he pollutes and corrupts these people but it could also have a slightly more sinister meaning which is that he knows their secrets so they are at his mercy and so by advising him he controls how they act and react right so he blackmails them and controls them a garland had he set upon his head um and he is basically of his house he set a garland on top of his house which was actually a symbol of uh, a tavern of people where people go to um, you know drink they are at the southwark tavern in right now as well uh, this could just be a reference to the fact that the <clears throat> this person actually drinks a lot the summoner drinks a lot it's almost as if his house was a tavern as great as it were for an all stake as in it the garland is so big it almost looks like it's an inn sign um the reference to this is given on page number 98 a bockler had he mad him of a cake so he carried a cake made out of a round loaf nothing else he doesn't feel the need to carry an actual weapon now the partner is also another one of the negative characters and partners were basically people who sold indulgences from the pope reducing the pena or the punishment for sins including a reduction in the years a sinner might expect to spend in purgatory a purgatory was the place where people went to after death where they paid for their sins and once they had done so they either went to hell or to heaven the theory was that christ the virgin mary and saints had stored up a treasury of merit that could be drawn on by others who paid cash to the church as a sign of repentance sinners were still supposed to confess before a priest repent sincerely and seek absolution however the system of selling pardons was open to abuse and was widely criticized in chaucer's day chaucer's partner claims he had the right to grant absolution which he does without securing the sinner's repentance he's probably not in the holy orders but takes over the pulpit in a poor person's church and uses it to persuade the people that they need to buy his fake relics and indulgences partners were supposed to be licensed by a bishop and to hand over to the authorities most of the money they collected from the sale of these indulgences it was usually intended for the building and maintenance of a religious house but of course chaucer's partner shows no sign of doing this um and his um, in fact the partner is one of the more interesting of the profiles because there's a lot of ambiguity in how the partner has been described uh we're going to read on and then we're going to come to uh, some of those instances with him there was there with him as in with the summoner rude a gentle partner rude is rude he rode on a horse and a gentle is again it's that ambivalent word that chaucer uses everywhere of rounceval rounceval was ronsville's in spain uh it is established uh, a chapel called mary rounceville at charing in london which was accused in 1379 and 1387 um of financial malpractices especially the unauthorized sale of pardons and misappropriation of funds collected all the things that 
Chaucer's partner also does. So this was a partner of Ronsville, his friend and his compeer, as in his the summoner's companion, that straight was coming from the court of Rome. That's a big claim to make that this partner is coming straight from Rome. For loud he sung, Come hither, love to me. This is a love song that he is singing very, very loudly. Again, not the kind of conduct that you would expect from anyone who belongs to the uh, church. The summoner barred to him of a stiff bordoon, stiff bordoon, which means that when the partner is singing the song, Come hither, love to me, the summoner actually accompanies him in a bass voice, in a heavy voice. The summoner has a heavy voice was never tromp of half so great as soon right this partner had hair as yellow as wax but smooth it hung as doth a strike of flex now the summoner sings in a heavy voice the partner has a small voice and there was never uh, a trumpet whose which was played as well as the partner could play it uh, but this partner's hair is yellow almost as if it were made of flex and it hung as smooth and straight as if it were flex by ounces as in thin in in thin clusters his locks his hair hung on his head they were thin and they were in clusters and therewith he his shoulders overspread and he had long hair but they were long hair were basically in thin clusters and they were pale, you know, sort of pale yellow in color, uh, sort of sickly, but thin it lay by clumps on and on. And his hair was thin and it was clumpy. And all of this is also a reference to, or it can be seen as a reference to, um, you know, a sort of an inner moral degeneracy as well. Uh, by Hood. For fun wore he none, as in he did not wear a hood which was supposed to be worn by all church members who had renounced the world because he thought that it was fun, for it was trussed up in his wallet. But he did carry a hood, but he had bundled it up, trussed up his bundled it up and put it in his wallet as a bag. He put the hood in his bag. He thought he rude all of the new jet and he was very sure he thought that he was riding according to the latest fashion he was very fashionable dishevel save his cap he rude all bare dishevelled is that his hair was loose it was little dishevelled he was not wearing anything except for his cape but the cape does not cover the head so he was uh, traveling bare head now being bare head is in churches or in front of the king was seen as a sign of disrespect such glaring eye had he as a hare his eyes um, you know glaring eyes were seen to be a signs of shameless person a man given to gluttony folly and drink because hares or rabbits were thought to be hermaphroditic people who belong to both the sexes and hence who do not follow the actual uh, you know stereotypes and the characteristics of any one particular sex so that's important a vernicle had he sewed on his cap a vernicle was a badge which was worn by pilgrims representing the handkerchief for the veil of saint veronica which he offered to christ to wipe his face as he was led to his crucifixion 
An imprint of Christ's face miraculously remained on the handkerchief and it is said to be preserved in St. Peter's in Rome. So something like a vernicle, but of course it can't be the actual handkerchief of St. Veronica. But he had sewn this, he had sewed it up in his cape. His bag lay before him in his lap. He carried his bag in his lap before him. Brimful of pardon coming from Rome all hoot. Now this is the reason he is coming straight from Rome. Because he claims that he has gotten all of these little trinkets and pardons from Rome that people could look at. And they could touch all of these holy things. And they could absolve themselves of their crimes and of their sins. A voice he had as small as hath a goat. Now the summoner's voice is manly, he is a bass voice, the, but the partner's voice is as small as is a goat's voice. No beard had he, he never should have. So he is clean shaven, but he never should have a beard in the sense that he can't grow a beard. It isn't as if he's shaved his face closely, but he can't have a beard. So again, it's a kind of a skin condition and skin conditions were... Uh, looked down upon as you know uh, as symbols of moral depravity as smooth it was as it as it were late shave but his skin was as smooth as if he had just shaved it but he can't grow a beard i trow he was a gelding or a mare a gelding is uh, i trow basically means i believe he was either a eunuch or a mare a mare is a Technically, it's a female horse, but the reference to this is given on page number 98. The partner's beardless face and small voice have given rise to critical speculation. He may be a eunuch, which would probably be a symbol of spiritual sterility. So what he doesn't have in earthly life and in his physicality, he has in spirituality. He is spiritually sterile. Oh, sorry. His um, What he doesn't have here, he also doesn't have spiritually. Sorry. It's the opposite of what I said earlier. In the Old Testament, eunuchs are excluded from the congregation of God. So if he is actually a eunuch and he is religiously he is, ex he is excluded from the congregation of God, he doesn't have any right to do what he actually does for a living. Right? Uh, alternative, alternatively, this might be a reference to the fact that he is a homosexual who is in a relationship with the attractive summoner. So both of the letters, both of the degenerates, in an illegal and an amoral relationship with each other again that is as bitter and as um, you know as critical as Chaucer has gotten till now at all the summoner joins in his bass voice to the partner's popular love song his thin lank yellow hair indicates cunning and lack of virility the line i believe he were a gelding or a mare which is what we were reading just now could indicate either sterility or effeminacy. In medieval satires, effeminate persons were seen as womanizers, and the partner later claims to have a jolly wench in every town and to be planning marriage. So there are these two kind of contrasts which are um, bundled up together in the partner's profile. He is either he's completely sterile, he is. <clears throat> is incapable of having any kind of sexuality or any kind of uh, you know street sexuality or he is he's a complete womanizer in both cases he is a sexual degenerate which i think is the crux of the thing i believe he were a gelding or a mare but of his crust 
from Berwick into where there was knee was there such another partner. So he was either a eunuch or he was a he was effeminate, but still he was very good. There was no another there wasn't another partner such as him like him. He was so good at his craft from Berwick unto where is north of England to where is in south of England. So from the north and south north to the south in the whole country there wasn't another partner like him. For in his bag he had a pillowcase which that he said was Our Lady's Veil. Our Lady's Veil is again uh, a reference to St. Um, Veronica I think again. Uh, so a Lady's Case uh, which was um, sorry a pillowcase which was uh, the Lady's Veil and or it was just an old pillowcase that he sold to everyone as Our Lady's Veil. Um, he said he had a fragment of the sail that sent that Saint Peter had when that he went upon the sea till Jesus Christ him hent. So it's a it's an absolutely useless kind of an artifact. He said that he had a he had Our Lady's veil. It was actually a pillowcase, so he was lying about it. He also said that he had a fragment of the sail of the ship's sail in which saint peter was traveling before jesus christ took him into his fold and made a saint out of him so there is no religious um, you know value associated with a piece of sail from a ship in which the man um, who later on became saint peter was traveling at some point in time at all but he can sell it off like uh, you know like a pardon like something which has holy value and he can make money out of that as well um, he had a cross of alloy which was full of stones it is a cross uh, and in a glass in a glass container he had big bones but with these relics when that he found a poor person dwelling upon land Upon a day he got him more money than that the parson got in months twice. Uh, so he says that he also had a cross which was decorated with, which was made out of alloy, which was decorated with stones. In a glass he had pig's bones and he would probably sell these pig bones or he would let people touch these and tell them that they are holy relics. Perhaps that they were uh, bones of some saint's fingers or somewhere in the body and people would think that they were touching the relics of somebody great and so a little bit of their virtue would sort of rub off on them and people would give a lot of money to be able to touch and be in the presence of relics like that. So. But with these relics, when that he found a poor person dwelling upon land, and with these relics he would roam about, and whenever he found a poor person, we've talked about what parsons did, dwelling upon anywhere in the country, upon a day, just in one day, he would get himself more money than the parson could make in in two months, right? So in one day he could make more money than the parson could make in two months and thus with faint flattery and tricks he made the person and the people his apes 
again the animal imageries if we have the time we will talk about this later on as well so he says with feign flattery and with these tricks he could make each and every person that he came across he could make them into apes he would fool them but truly to tell at last he was in church a noble ecclesiast of course this is um you know this is this is as sarcastic as Chaucer can possibly get but there is also an underhanded sort of a cut here um the narrator says but truly to tell at last i would like to tell truly that he was a noble ecclesiast of the church which of course is a lie we've figured that out till now and uh, ragunathan actually gives a um, sort of an uh, a, an accompanying note to this on page number 100 she says a part the partner pretends to be a clergyman the oxford petition of 1414 which is going to come later on complains about shameless partners who although not in holy orders preach publicly and pretend falsely that they have full powers of absolving both living and dead alike from punishment and guilt and it's this kind of corruption that the narrator is now talking about well could he read a lesson or a story as in he could tell parables from stories were uh, you know saints lives and well could he read these lessons or these parables of this you know of the life story of the saints but all the best but the best of all that he could do is he could sing he could sing he knew how to sing an offertory offertory is an anthem accompanying the offering of the bread and wine during the sacrament of the mass when the mass is being offered in church the accompanying song that is what the partner could sing best of all for well he knew when that the song was sung he most preach and well smoothen his tongue to win silver as full well he could therefore he sung the more merrily and loud so and the reason why he could sing the effortery uh, better than anything else was because he knew now that this song was being sung it was the time for him to preach and to smoothen his tongue as in to use a sweet tongue to get money out of people was coming near so he would get excited to win silver and as he fell well full well could he could use his smooth tongue after the mass was over he could use his smooth tongue to get silver to win silver from people therefore uh, just anticipating the money that he was going to receive he could sing very merrily and very loudly now have i told you soothly as in truthfully in a clause as in in brief now the narrator is coming back and addressing the reader directly and he's saying now i've told you truly and in brief the estate the array the number and also the cause why that assembled was this company in southwark at this genteel hostelry now genteel again they are at an inn but it seems to be an upper class inn it seems to be a good institution but again genteel is a slightly ambiguous word to be used here the narrator is saying i have told you truthfully and in brief the estate as in the social position the array as in the clothes the number and also the reason why this company was assembled in southwark and this gentle hostelry that height or that was called the tabard and it was close close to the river bell but now is time for you to you for to tell how that we bear in us 
that same night as in now it is time now it is come the time for us to tell you all how we conducted ourselves that night that night when the narrator met all these people at the tabard in when we were in that hostel right a light a light as in when we reached that hostel when we reached the tabard in what did we do i will just tell you and after will i tell of our voyage and once i tell you how we conducted ourselves on the evening when we reached the tabard in i will tell you about our voyage and all the remnant of our pilgrimage as in all the remaining uh, part of our pilgrimage but first i pray you of your courtesy but first i pray i invoke your courtesy i want your courtesy that ye na aret it not my villainy that you should not attribute it to my villainy and what should you not attribute it to his villainy as in rudeness and uneducatedness though i plainly speak in this matter to tell you their words and their cheer their behavior need though i speak their words properly so he's saying that i'm speaking the words that were spoken by these people properly exactly and to tell you their words and their cheer to tell you exactly who they are how they speak and what their behavior is so you should not attribute the language that i've used the phraseology that i've used even though it's not that of courtly manners sometimes it is plainly the language of merchant uh, you know of of trading it's the language of money or it's the language it's it's the vulgar language of everyday conversation but you should not think that that's the kind of language that i speak for this ye known also well as i for for this this thing you know as well as i do who show who so shall tell a tale after a man he moot rehearse as nigh as ever he can every word if it be in his charge all speak he never so rudely and large or else he moot tell his tale untrue or feign thing a fine or fine words new so who who so shall tell a tale after a man is that whoever tells the tale of another man whoever recounts what some somebody else has said he must rehearse or repeat as closely as he can every word if it be in his charge if he can help it then he should speak every word that has been spoken to him as closely or as uh, you know as samely as he possibly can even um all speak he never so rudely <clears throat> and large even if he doesn't otherwise speak speak as rudely or as broadly or else or else he would have told his tale untrue or else the tale that he tells is untrue because he is inventing things he is reinterpreting things that have been told to him and find words new because he is telling the tale that has been told to him in new words so i am not a rude person i am not an uneducated person i don't use this language every day but this is the language in which these things were told to me so for the sake of being as true to their own representation as possible i've used the language that i have he may not spare although it were his brother he moot as well say a word as another 
right so even if it were her his own brother the person who is telling the tale even if he talks about his own brother he should not spare or he should not avoid rude expressions he should repeat the exact same thing even if it even if it shows his brother in the bad light he must say every word as accurately as um you know as possible christ speak himself full broad in holy writ christ is jesus christ he spoke um you know full broadly plainly in the holy writ as in in the bible and well he would well you know it is no disgrace so even christ spoke very plainly in the bible and to speak plainly to speak in common language non courtly language is not a disgrace it's not a villainy the rest i'll continue in the next lecture